Welcome to the Pop Cult Podcast. Here are your hosts Ariana and Seth. This is the Pop Cult Podcast. I'm Seth. Ariana. And today we're going to be reviewing two new releases. Uh, One of them will be the recent addition to the Predator franchise, Prey. Uh, But before we get to that, we're going to be reviewing the new indie comedy uh, starring Patton Oswalt titled I Love My Dad. Uh, The premise of the film uh, comes from writer-director James Morosini's actual life. Uh, And it is about... Uh, a young man named Franklin who blocks his father, Chuck, on social media after years of his dad just kind of being a habitual liar. Uh, Chuck, wanting to stay in contact with his son because uh, Franklin had just attempted suicide, uh, catfishes his son by impersonating a waitress that Chuck meets at a local restaurant where he lives in Maine named Becca. He lifts pictures from her profile Uh, creates a whole identity, and then sends a friend request to his son. Uh, A relationship happens over the internet with Chuck feeling varying levels of guilt, but justifying this because it connects him with his son. And the big problem starts when Franklin wants to visit Becca, who just happens to live in Maine, where his dad lives. And Chuck, seeing this as a potential way to bond with his son, agrees to come pick him up, drive him to Maine, and he'll eventually meet Becca. Uh, On the other hand, Chug knows this is probably the last straw in his relationship with his son. So, Ariana, what did you think of I Love My Dad? I think the film was better than what the trailer had given me uh, when we had watched the trailer. I, I knew it was based on the true story because true stories like this occur all the time with the internet Mm -hmm. i did not know that the director and writer had gone through that yeah it's about him and his own father so because now i'm like i would want to know more but it just doesn't seem like there's a lot of details besides him writing and directing this yeah i think it's certainly i i got the sense it wasn't a beat-by-beat recreation of what happened. Yeah. It's certainly dramatized i think it might have been the fathers in the movie is probably worse than the father in real life uh, so, general thoughts. You enjoyed it? Right? Yes, I enjoyed it. I thought the acting was pretty good. And we'll get into specifics about particular actors. Yes. Um, so, Patton Oswalt as an actor. Uh, this isn't his first film. Of course, he's voiced Ratatouille in the big Pixar hit, yeah. probably his biggest movie. I always think of him in um, Big Fan. It came out in like 2009, 2010, yeah. where he plays the toll booth operator who is sort of a habitual caller on a sports radio yeah, I show. Yeah, I don't remember watching that. I think you watched it. And kind know. of a comedy drama psychological kind of mm-hmm. thing. He, he ends up uh, meeting one of his favorite football players and like follows the guy, and it becomes very weird and dark. Yeah. Uh, and so I kind of think of him in that role. And I think this is kind of similar in that it's, it's a dark role. Yeah. That he's playing. This is He's funny, but he's also deeply psychologically troubled. Yeah, I always think about more <coughs> about his stand-up comedy, uh, him being on uh, King of Queens, is that what it's called? Yep, he was like a, one of the supporting friend characters. And uh, just his general personalities. He's one of those people that, at like, 
you either you can take him or leave him kind of thing. I enjoy him, but I'm not a huge fan. Yeah, I would say in the mid late 2000s, I was a big Patton Oswalt fan because that's his first comedy album came out around that time, and because he's very like nerdy and into these niche yes. things, that appealed to me at the time. Since then, I've kind of cooled on him. He's has a very uh, like liberal presence on Twitter, and very establishment kind of yeah. takes. Which he's a big rich movie star now, so that's kind of the way it goes. Yeah, right? he's like not as rich as some would be, but he's a little too forgiving. I mean, he's for, Pixar rich, which is yeah, pretty fucking rich. But he but he's a little too forgiving to his friends about certain things yeah, that they've done. Because he uh, recently uh, was doing a show. I don't know if it was in Los Angeles or he was traveling. And he went over to Dave Chappelle, who was also doing a show, and they did some stuff on stage and hugged. <laughs> and when people called Oswald out about it because of Chappelle's very like aggressive transphobia he seemed to lean into <laughs> yes. at this stage in his career, Oswald was like, oh, he's my friend, making all these excuses when... I don't know. It's very odd. It's a very yeah, strange, it's this awkward weird thing situation. Of like, hey, I, you know, I support trans people. But you know my friends, so it's yeah. obviously indicating that like his it only goes into empathy and not into activism. But yeah. that tends to happen a lot with people around his uh, well, especially age range. or in his uh, income level. Yes. I feel like especially because it's oh I don't want to burn that bridge because that could be a future job or something. Yeah. Um, but I thought he was. If you've seen Patton Oswalt in anything before, he kind of. He doesn't do anything too wildly different. No, like he can. But he's embody, good at what he does. Yeah, he can embody this loser very well. Yes, yeah. Uh, the standout performance for me uh-huh. was Claudia Sulaweski as mm. Becca. Okay. Because she's playing a dual role. Yeah. Because there's uh, the way the film works is when. Uh, Chuck, the father, is pretending to be Becca and talking to his son, Franklin. We see it from Franklin's point of view most often, where Claudia Sulaweski, who plays the real Becca, appears in front of Franklin, but she has to adopt mannerisms of Patton Oswalt's character at certain points. And because, the way he says yeah, things. Because he's failing to keep up the persona. Yes. And she's also playing this real Becca, who's this sort of earnest, real character. Mm-hmm. And I thought she did a fantastic job, yeah, like going back and forth between these two things. Um, I thought James, uh, how do you say his Morosini? name, Morosini, who's the uh, writer and director, playing himself. He did great, and it like I think I have to give him better than I thought it was because when I looked him up, I thought to myself like um, he looks like he could basically play. The younger brother with that guy that played Anakin in the prequels for uh, Hayden Christensen. Yes, he just like I don't understand why this guy was not getting girls, but he does the awkward thing so well that he, it endeared me to he him. He does pull off a very believable person with like mental health issues. Yes, that I felt like he did very well because he's not like so crazy and over the top. It feels realistic, like. He has a lot of confidence issues, anxiety attacks when the situation arises. I love that at the opening of the film, instead of we get this whole monologue from like Franklin, that's James' character, explaining everything, it is constant voicemails his father has left him. 
constant voicemails of i can't make it to this and it's all one side i can't get to your graduation oh i'm really sorry i can't make it like i no i promise i was sick only for us to turn the next scene is it's the last day of him being in this mental like mental institution and they're asking him what the progress that he's made and he's like hey i've done it i've blocked my dad in all social medias i'm done because it turns out his dad is one of the reasons he is having mental health issues yeah because even before that whole voicemail sequence which is the opening credits there's a cold open to the movie uh with chuck and franklin as a child so this was to be a decade earlier or so and um they find a lost dog and chuck says hey we could take it home and franklin's a little confused like we can it's like what if he's lost Lost. and he's like yeah he's not lost and then on their way home there's a poster up for the dog which chuck tears off before his son can see it and it's a it's really good at setting that the table for that relationship in that first scene of chuck is constantly trying to win franklin's affection through inauthentic means he will gaslight him he'll lie to him but he justifies it by saying, oh, but I love my son. That's why yeah. I'm doing it. But he's hurting his son by doing it and yeah. won't admit that. Uh, there were, uh, I think there were some other good supporting performances. Rachel Dratch as Chuck's boss. How did you feel about her performance? I her? mean, she was amusing. She, I, think, um, I think she plays a bigger role than I thought she would. Of course, they don't give her a lot to do, but it's... Enough at the least to justify the reason that she's there. Uh, the plot of the movie on paper feels very sitcomish. Yes. And I wouldn't necessarily say that the film goes that far beyond a sitcom-like plot. Just yeah. a long sitcom episode is yeah. what it feels like. Because it's that sort of... the There's a, a bit of a formula to it, which works... Where we have Chuck trying to connect with his son, digs his hole, and creates a problem for himself. Then in trying to fix that, he digs his hole deeper, and the problem intensifies. Yeah, at no point does Chuck stop and say, I need to stop this, I need to block him, I need to do this. He is afraid of what his... Like, what his son's mental health is going to be, yet... There have been no concerns about his son's mental health before this. Like, there's never a pause for him going, hey, my kid just got out of psych ward. I don't think this is the right time for me to emotionally manipulate him as he's falling in love with this fake person that I've created, only for me to have a closeness with him that I've never had before. Because um, well, then it's... I would say there's uh, the big finale is a very visceral scene. Yeah. Where... Like, you're not going to squirm. There's no way you're not going to squirm watching that but final it scene. Was, I loved the way that it was filmed with the with what Franklin is processing it. So instead of him visualizing himself, like, making out with Becca, he's visualizing himself making out with his dad. It recasts it, all those moments. It recasts those moments that were, like, important and it's it's a good like intrusive thought moment when you when you're confronted with a certain reality that you didn't know. Or like really contemplating the horror of what yes. you've just gone and through. Like, I think at the least with this aspect of mental illness, they did great. There again, like you said, it feels like a, a long sitcom of sorts. 
except when there's that um, the scene at the end where it feels like there's an it's an homage to Hitch. Well, wasn't at the end. It would probably maybe about near the yeah in the second act. It's it's the like scene the climax where Rachel Dratch is working late. And uh, Chuck has forgotten to log out of his work computer, where he's also logged into his fake Facebook account. Yeah. And or a fake social media, because yeah. it's not really. The, like... Yeah, and that was something while we watched it. I remember remarking that the screensaver image on his computer before she wakes it up, immediately that, along with the music that they're using, evoked Hitchcock, especially Vertigo. Yes. Where it felt like all of a sudden we were in this like psychological thriller because, and it's also that's Rachel Dratch's performance. Um, and then as the uh, Chuck's ex-wife and Franklin's mom, it's um, actress Amy Landecker, who has been, she was on the series Transparent, uh, was in the film A Serious Man, kind of a, I think she was on Curb Your Enthusiasm as well. Yeah. She's one of those uh, actors in that kind of circle. Uh, she has a great moment in that scene uh, as Rachel Dratch's character feels obligated to inform Franklin's mother about what her ex-husband has been doing. Because she herself has been violated. Yes. Because, uh, yeah, there's an earlier phone sex scene that I was... That was also a great scene. It's it's a movie where you have these... There's these great moments, but it's the stuff in between that is kind of hit or miss. Yes. But you will have these, like, set pieces is almost what, like an, almost like an action set piece, but in a comedy... Yeah. Uh, like the the phone sex scene is just so squirm worthy, yeah. uh, and then the the vertigo scene, as I'll call it, uh, where everything kind of comes out on the table. And I know you had pointed out the the way they use sound in that scene. You really like yeah. that, yes? Because like the thing is, like we don't hear any dialogue. We are interpreting by their like expressions, and, like what we're seeing. Only you for can it lip read a little, like only for it to be rewound a little bit once. Chuck is confronted of what he's done. And it is the sense that he is having anxiety slash a panic attack. Or complete nervous breakdown. A nervous (laughs) breakdown. Because everything now has been revealed. And not only is his his son a victim of his consequences. It's like he's realizing the gravity of the situation. There's like... well, it's not that everything has been revealed to everyone except for Franklin. And and, it, and that's the big sword hanging with, over Chuck's yes, head. Yes, because yeah. like Chuck is told either he tells him or she's going to drive down and tell him herself. Yeah. And he has he's dealt with these cards. He doesn't know what to do. And it's also because everyone around him, like his coworker that knows, is telling him you need to end this. Yeah, little his, Ray Howry. Yeah. Rohan. Um Rachel Dratt's character doesn't know what's going on, but she's like, this isn't good. And it's a man who doesn't want to confront his flaws because he keeps saying that he's coming from a good place. But it's also yeah, his like, intentions are good. Yeah. So but it's also this weird reveal when um, Franklin is explaining why his dad is a terrible person. Now, this is not like a movie dad that this dad beat him up. This is a dad who is just constantly lying. Yeah, it's a much more realistic, like manipulative. Yeah, he explains like, "Oh, my dad was really into online chess." And my favorite is like his dad, as Becca goes, "Ooh, we should play." <laughs> It's just a good pivot to try to not talk about what he knows his son's going to talk about, but also showing, like, that addiction within him. Yeah, because it's... Chuck's thing seems to be that he wants 
to take shortcuts and not have to deal with the consequences of those shortcuts. Because with the chess scenario, as Franklin explains it, his dad would have like a chess program up. And he would start a chess match with someone. And whatever move they made, he would then make that move in the against the computer in another game and then copy the computer's moves so he yeah. could move up the ranks. And it never I never get the sense that there was any like financial benefit. This was purely just like for your name to be on a ranking list online. Yeah, he just wanted to feel important. He wanted to feel smart and it's He's showing his son thinking, this is so cool, but his son is thinking, you're just a fucking cheater. Yeah. And it's, it's, so it's, yeah, it's one of those where I could easily see a viewer not having sympathy for Chuck because he does so many things that make him unsympathetic. Yeah. But I think that's where Patton Oswalt comes in because he's able to make losers that we have some sort of empathy for. Well, he's, you don't completely write Chuck off. You don't completely write him off because Chuck is set, is giving this to you almost like a sale like a car salesman's uh, like you know like pitch. He's like, "But this is an amazing thing that I'm doing." But you're like, "No, it's a piece of shit. You should not do that." But yeah, I love everyone <laughs> that knows. When I love that everyone that in his life that knows what he's doing, there is never a hesitation where they're like, oh, well, I mean, I guess they're immediately just like, that is the horrible idea. That is going to bite you on the ass. You're being a bad person by doing this. Yeah. Uh, particularly like little, uh, Lil Ray Howery does a really good job of being so deadpan, yes. but still funny, where he, Chuck will explain what he's doing, and Lil Ray, who is playing one of his coworkers, is just sort of, He's not going to stop talking to Chuck, but he is going to tell Chuck he's disgusted with him, yes. and <laughs> in did, the hope that Chuck will like become yeah. a better person. And I did love like that that his coworker never became like someone who was like guiding him through it or telling him this is what you need to do. He's constantly being like, "You, need to stop. you misinterpreted <laughs> uh, me. I'm trying to ha- have your son not be all about this Becca girl." But you are not helping because you're not even saying you need to stop talking to her. You're encouraging it because you got you went to go pick him up for this long road trip for you to meet this girl who doesn't exist. And Chuck believes since, you know, my son is so great, I'm just going to introduce Becca to them. She's going to realize this catfish, but be like, he's so sweet. I'm going to date him. Yeah, he, like he like, genuinely thinks his son is great. And, but he just, it's unrealistic. But it, he doesn't <laughs> consider the fact that Becca already has a relationship, that she has a life, and what basically you're hoping that they meet and that she would want to be in a long-distance relationship with someone. Who is suicidal who, and, like, like, is going through some mental health issues and probably just shouldn't be in a relationship. And they even kind of hint that he has feelings for um, a woman that was in the program with him. But he's too awkward to do anything yeah. about it. And he, yeah, he's too nervous to contact her. Yeah, and he's like not... And I do love the fact that they set up that he's not supposed to drive because of his suicidal ideation. And, yeah, for like a full year, I think. Yeah, the and so um, that that's the thing that like ties it all together. There's a lot of things that were very interesting visually in this film. Yeah. It's... But it feels like an as indie, a whole, I don't yeah, think it's, it feels yeah. like an indie B-rated movie. I think there's a lot to appreciate, and there it makes me excited to see what this director slash writer will do in the slash future. Actor. <laughs> slash actor, because I think he did pretty good. I think the thing he that did was, hold his own against Pat Oswalt, who's like a 
a acting veteran. He's been yeah, doing this Yeah, and the for only thing time. that put me off was like I think they put like a wig on him because yeah, they, they were good. trying to make him look less attractive than he actually is. Or like younger. No, they were trying to make really? him look okay. less attractive because like, pic- his hair is kind of like matted down. Yeah, yeah, because like I saw pictures of him like in day to day life and like he looks like a handsome guy. So a part of me before knowing that he was also like acting in it, I was kind of like, oh, I, they should have cast someone else. But now knowing that this was his story and maybe he amped it up even further. Yeah, I get the sense that they, he did take some artistic liberty to make it a more interesting film. And what I love is like at the, the yeah, end Without of, going into detail, don't explain yeah. anything that happens so at the end. So at the I didn't know if the movie deserved the ending that it did until I started yeah. interpreting it in a different way. And even then, I'm still like, I'm not 100% sure what that ending meant. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think that could be a divisive thing for some people because it's not, it's a movie that's very like straightforward and then you get to that ending and it leaves a lot up to you to interpret what people's motivations are. And I think it also, it was an ending that it was, I felt like it might have been that the director's compromise to his own father of sorts. Because the movie does open about with the whole thing that it's based on actual events. And then the next title card says, despite uh, my father telling me to not do this. <laughs> so I think his, his real life father's probably very embarrassed. But that's where I'm thinking he probably exaggerated and changed some things. Because he just, still has a relationship with his dad, of and course. And maybe he does. Maybe he doesn't. But this is the perfect revenge yeah, I mean, your if dad, movie, if, yeah, if your dad, you know, even just continued a online talking relationship with you without ever telling that it's you, then you know what? This is, I'm fine. You made something beautiful out of it. I would say that if you're looking, if you love the sort of like curb your enthusiasm, awkward comedy, yeah. you're definitely going to like this. Uh, it's not going to change your life in any way, I don't think. It's not a profound movie. Probably not on my best of the year list, but still a movie that if we were sitting with someone who hadn't seen it and it was on Netflix or something, I'd sit down and watch it well, again. Well, this is also the mid-tier movies that we've talked about that have been missing. That Marvel and Disney have kind yeah. of pushed out of theaters. And I think, like, if you're a person that misses that kind of stuff, this is a movie that I think you should watch and encourage other people to watch because at the least it's not a fucking Marvel film. <laughs> yeah, and I think the runtime was pretty good. Yeah, it's a tight 95 minutes. And as I've gotten older, I've I've gotten to this point where I'm like, most movies should not be over an hour and a half. Yeah. Because most movies' stories do not have enough meat on the bones. And this is just like perfectly... There's nothing I would really edit out of it. There'd no. probably be things that I'd want to improve. Like Titan story-wise. Yeah. But even then, it was still... Yeah, it was still not it, bad. Like it, this, it felt like a writer who knew what they wanted to get out of it so there wasn't anything that felt like oh that's a loophole like why is this happening like and i almost feel like my one critique was move away from feeling like a sitcom and really lean in to the like indecency of this story (laughs) but i think the director maybe didn't want to go for something so like like it wasn't going to be a dirty movie necessarily he was still trying to keep it as like a a balance yeah a broader audience sort of
Well, we're back, and now we're going to be talking about uh, a recent addition to the Predator franchise uh, titled Prey, and it's a movie that was released on streaming uh, on Hulu. Uh, the film is set in the uh, mid-18th century, uh, focusing on a tribe of Comanche uh, native people living in what would we now would consider Midwestern, kind of like Great Lakes, United States. Uh, the main character, who now I feel bad because I can't remember the, her. I can't remember the character's name. I remember the actress's name. Uh, she is kind of a Mulan uh, esque type of character. She is stuck in a gender role that she's not comfortable with. Naru, that's her name. Um, she is relegated to the expectations of women in her culture, which is sort of hunter-gatherer, ga- not hunter-gatherer, but just kind of gatherer, farmer, meal preparer, just the Medical. task. Kind of staying back at the uh, within the encampment while the men go out and do the hunting. Yeah. And she has this strong desire to be a hunter. Her brother, uh, Tab, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, Tabe, um, is sort of the great hunter of the tribe, and it's clear he's the one who the reins of power are going to be handed to in the future. Uh, she's out tracking a deer with her dog, Sari, and witnesses something strange in the sky that she has no context for. She refers to it as a phoenix. It's this burning... A thunderbird. A thunderbird, that's, yeah. It's this fiery thing in the sky. And later, one of the young men in the tribe has been attacked by a mountain lion, and a group of men are going to go out to rescue him. And she sneaks along. Uh, eventually... As they're sort of cornering the mountain lion, she witnesses another odd thing that she can't really come up with context for, which causes her to get injured and kind of get sidelined for a little while. And sure enough, she eventually comes to find there is this bizarre, demonic hunter being that she she doesn't really know what it is other than she knows that it's a threat. And it takes all of her sort of cunning and wit to combat this creature there's also other conflicts in the form of nature uh, around her animals. There's also some French fur trappers that serve as antagonists and cannon fodder in the movie. Uh, and ultimately, it's a showdown between her and this alien that has come to Earth for the express purpose of sport hunting yeah. and sees her as a, a worthy adversary to go up against. So what were your general thoughts on Prey? I really enjoyed this film. And I feel like it's almost rare for in any podcast for me to be like, I liked both films that we watched. Mm-hmm. No problem with it. Um, I appreciate it that at no aspect of this film, when she's confronted by the hunters, they don't say, you're a woman, you shouldn't be there here. They don't say because she's a woman. She. It's just more like, what are you doing here? Well, I mean, Why it is because she's here? a woman. It is, but it's never... Oh, it's, 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 it's not like, you know, the American set of... It's not pedantic, where they're yeah. like, the lesson here is women have power, too. It no. chooses to make that more of a subtext. Yeah. yeah, and it's also sort of like, I loved when she was talking to her mother. Her mother was like, you were talented in so many things. Why do you choose this? And she tells her, because I know you think I will fail. And it is... It it's so like it's so good in such small little ways, like the dog. 
The dog was amazing. Well, let's, let's get into... Uh, so it's directed by Dan Trachtenberg, who is someone yes. that the both of us have been familiar with for over a decade now at yeah. this point. He was one of the three co-hosts of The Totally Rad Show, which was a web series that younger people might not be familiar with. People our age, I think it was fairly popular. It had a... a and it was a... It had a geek following. Yeah, it was Dan Trachtenberg, Dan Canada, and Alex Albrecht. And they would review movies and video games, TV shows, just all things. And comics. Yeah. Like they would, yeah. At, like each of them were like specialized in, in one thing. And so once Dan started getting um, more directorial work, he decided to step away from the show because to do reviews of movies and you might work with producers or studios and you don't want to. Or even yeah. like camera people yeah. or whatever. You don't want to end up like making someone yeah. upset. And so the show ended at that point. Uh, and so since then, Trachtenberg directed uh, 10 Cloverfield Lane, which was another addition to a franchise that was better than a lot of people expected. It's like it a sl- he, he has done two sleeper hits of yeah. sorts. And then so Prey, uh, it, was, it was only released streaming. And I think it had a much more positive uh, reception than... Uh, people thought it would yes, have. Yes, than the studio thought it would uh, Disney uh, put it out now that they own all the 20th Century Fox pro, uh, <laughs> IPs. Um, and so it was relegated to the streaming service. There's now um, a lot of people I've noticed online saying that it deserves a theatrical release. Oh, I definitely agree with that. And I think, yeah, I think it's the- theatrical worthy. Uh, what did you think of Trachtenberg's direction of the movie? So the, we're thinking about the the performances he gets out of people, but also those sort of technical aspects of, you know, the shots he chooses to compose and those sorts of things. I think he's a very solid director. Uh, there's, I don't, I have not seen him do anything that I'm like, ooh, that's a shot of his. Yeah, he, he doesn't does have anything not have him. anything of a style. But if we can't talk about his style, we can at least talk about the fact that it seems like there is this sense that this is someone who knows exactly what story he wants to tell. And he wants to respect the story and get it done. And get it done right and make the actors in his film feel comfortable enough that they can deliver something that in someone else's hands would just feel kind of like, you know, obvious. Yeah, he's he's very much like a journeyman director. Mm -hmm. One of those guys that like if you hire him he will make the movie exactly how you want it made and he'll devote himself to it like he's not going to like he's, going, he's not going to cut corners he's not going to cut corners he's all he he's very much a storyteller in where he's going to find a good story that goes along with everything else i remember like there's a lot of people that after cloverfield they were just saying he needs to do Portal because apparently he loved that he game. He did a Portal short film which is what got him 10 cloverfield yes. lane and they still own i think it's Disney or Sony, I don't know who owns the Cloverfield, or not, the uh, Portal um, IP for film development. Mm -hmm. Still no plans to make a movie. (laughs) And in this film, I really loved when we were watching at the least an interview with the actress, that she had grown up with her indigenous language, and therefore she was surrounded with people talking that language because he made it a point to hire indigenous people. It wasn't like, I'm going to find some mixed people that look like they're... Or like hire Latino actors and then just have them pretend, right? Yeah. Uh, I would 
say that there are two versions of the movie. There's an English version, but then there's a dubbed Comanche version, which we watched the dubbed Comanche version. And it is one of those where like you can tell that different dialogue has been placed over the actual movie's dialogue. I didn't feel like it detracted from the experience no. at all because there are big periods where no words are spoken. Uh, because, of course, you know, these humans can't communicate with the predator, so there's no point in trying to talk to him. Yeah. Uh, and so it's a very visual movie in that way. Um, what do you think of Amber Mid-Thunder's performance? I thought she was great. I I did... What I really loved about this film was there are what we could call quiet moments, and the quiet moments were them making things in order for us to not have this belief that, like, indigenous people were just, you know, amazed by the tools that white men brought. Like... They need, like, like you were saying, part of the, the story was one of their, um, one of the villagers was attacked by a, a mountain lion. Mm-hmm. And they basically come together and they make, what would you call it, that they carried him off with? Uh, like a stretcher. They, they made a stretcher out of the things around them and they made a torch. Like, they knew exactly what they were doing. There was never, like, one person going, oh, let me just go. Let me, yeah. me. I've seen them. No, they... The film never presents it as, like, oh, it's a novelty they came up with this. It's sort of, this is just how they operate because this is where yeah. they've always lived, so they know the land and very well. they did the same with her as she made a rope out of bark in order to retract her, like, axe. Um, it sh- it, it's these slow moments that are important because versus what other Predators films we would be watching is they're cleaning the gun, they're loading the gun, they're making sure that they have grenades. No, this is a, like, this is a different feel and it makes you appreciate it even more because we see her practicing throwing the, uh, like, the axe multiple times. We see her struggle. She is an imperfect person. In, in which she's extremely stubborn in where she takes risks that like basically will take the lives of others like it was emotional at times because you really felt like when she loses she does fucking lose i did like that she was very vulnerable yes. i get tired of i know there's a push sometimes to make female protagonists in action roles feel like almost superhuman and i always think make of it, them the equal of a man that doesn't well, feel anything even then i'd be like no, no no the gender thing like people will say oh well it's you know they're trying to make them like the male characters i always think back to john mctiernan's die hard where bruce willis's character gets fucked up over the course of that movie and that's what makes him interesting is he's not just going in guns blazing walking away unmarked it's Oh, he's, he bloodied, wa- he's, he's bruised, cut up. He's limped. Like the scene where he has to walk across broken glass. Everybody remembers that scene because it's so visceral and like, uh, and he just keeps going after that. But he acknowledges, like, he has to take a break. He can't keep pushing himself. Yeah. And I like when we have protagonists like that who, when you're up against something like the Predator, which is superhuman. Yeah, there's like times that she has to walk away and you can see her grit. I love the point that you can see her gritting her teeth. She's breathing heavy. You can tell she wants to swing, but she knows she's not going to win at that moment. Because she's exhausted and she's not in a position. Yeah, like where she's at and what's around her, it's not she to her benefit. She doesn't have the higher yeah, ground yeah. and she's already witnessed it cheat so many times that she's like, I need to stop because I'm just going with anger. 
Uh, and I would say for the Predator franchise, I literally do not give a shit about the Predator <laughs> franchise. Like, I've seen the first movie. I think I've seen Predator 2, but I can't remember. I've seen scenes from it. Uh, there were there have been two additional Predator movies, Predators, plural, that came out in 2010. And then The Predator, which came out in 2018. I yeah. know nothing about these movies. I don't give a shit about watching them. And, like, even Prey, when I heard it was announced... Even though it has what you would consider, oh, it's a unique concept. It's very different from other Predator movies. I just didn't care because I have no investment in Predator as like an IP or a character. Uh, and so what made me want to watch this movie was the positive word of mouth. Like even from prior actors within the Predator it was Jesse Ventura and a few others. Uh, Bill Duke had posted on Twitter uh, welcoming Amber Mid-Thunder to, like, the franchise, and they were like, oh, you did such a great job. We'd love to They, the like, movie. basically were saying she was she's the best, yeah. like, of them. Uh, and, yeah, it was, I thought it was very good, especially for something that I don't care about. <laughs> I mean, like, to me, this movie was such a remark about colonialism. And but even then, it doesn't get hung up on that too it much. It doesn't get hung up, but it's yeah. so just ref- as a person of color, it's so refreshing to watch because the more I think about colonialism, the more I think about capitalism, it's like and how more and more people are like, "Hey, the indigenous people were right from the get go. We should like, but the white man ruined everything." It is a part that like we're watching the film, and you think, "Oh, the the havoc that has caused here must have been." Like, it must have been the Predator. Like, it doesn't make sense. Like, but then you realize, no, it, like, it was something else. And oh, yeah, because she comes across a bunch of buffalo that have been Yeah, and it's there. horrendous. It is an image that is horrible. And it is this overconsumption that is ruining what is what, what has been there for centuries. I almost kind of wish that the French Trapper characters hadn't been in the movie. They really are only there to be cannon fodder because yeah. they know it's a Predator movie, so people want to see the Predator killing people. Yeah. And they don't want to necessarily... Because with the the native characters, they've kind of honed it down to, like, three central characters. And so the French fur trappers exist so that we can see a bunch of people get, like, slaughtered. Yeah. Uh, and that's fair. Uh, we do see some of the other, like, young men in the tribe get taken out by the Predator. Uh, but I almost felt like introducing the French fur trappers kind of took away just a tiny bit from the native story. And I think it would have been interesting. You know, we see the skinned buffalo. We're aware of the trappers, but they're kind of in the background. They're not even cannon fodder. And that it's more the story of the this tribe and these people against the predator. Uh, and I, I think it would have been interesting because, once again... It kind of follows a lot of the tropes, and it does it in a unique way because you have a new, a unique yeah. heroine. But it's still the same individual against the predator. And one thing I, and I mean, I haven't watched the other predator movies, mm-hmm. uh, and maybe it's in there somewhere. But I thought it would have been interesting if we saw a collective response to the predator, which is something we've never really seen. Mm-hmm. It always boils down to like hunter versus hunter kind of a thing. Yeah. And I would have thought, because of the communal nature of these people, it would have been interesting to see it play out where they collectively... Because one of the things from having taught, we had a big unit on Native Americans, in their hunting, they would work as a large group yeah. and corral the prey. 
and get it into a vulnerable space and then just go to town on it and kill yeah, it. Yeah, I think, And I think that would have been interesting to kind of see. I think I would have been fine if they kept they kept them because it's almost like, oh, there's another threat that's coming. Because that's what it felt like to me towards the end when she comes back and she's like, we have to move because it's like there's something else out there. And I think for me, it was my interpretation of her being like, these trappers are going to, like, fuck us up. For me, as soon as I saw the trappers, I was like, oh, cannon fodder. That's but, These people like, are only here f- so we can see some But I kills. can understand, like, I, you know, it would have been great had, you know, certain characters, like, not died and they made a group effort instead of, of like, because there is a moment that her brother was, like, telling her, you've always been aware of things. Like, you've always been very observant and... um and, and it's not him apologizing. It's him being like, no, these are things that you have within you. Because what I thought was very interesting that I loved about the brother character, uh, the character with the brother, is that he ends up taking down the mountain lion, and so he's getting praise, and he's like, hey, we did it because they technically did. But she is so angry that he's like, okay, I did it. And it is only, he's only doing it so she, like, he's allowing her to have that anger. And I would have loved it had they worked together to bring down the predator together. But it's like, it's that thing, it's, it's that, that trope, trope that they mm-hmm. have to follow. Mm-hmm. That it's like, well, no, it's supposed to be lone wolf versus lone wolf, not understanding that lone wolves die alone. Yeah, it's that very. <laughs> they die early. It's sort of the dramatic structures you would expect with a predator movie. That's. The one thing where I don't feel like it surprised me in how things play out. Yeah. Like in the sort of narrative sense, not the details, where it's like I kind of see the plot beats. That doesn't mean they're not satisfying because there is, you know, things that are familiar can be satisfying. That's yeah. why people rewatch things. Um, but it, it, it very closely kind of follows the structure of the original yeah, Predator it's, movie. It's the sad thing that unfortunately we still have to follow those tropes because it's like, no, well, we've changed it too much by allowing a woman to be the one that outsmarts yeah. him. We can't possibly have like two people come together and outsmart them because that would be too much. Like the internet was already uproar because it's a Native American woman, like woman being like the one that be, they're just like, oh my God. You know, well, yeah, of course are. you always have the factions where there's this sort of alt-right people that any representation mm-hmm. of any non-white person is immediately woke and ruining well, it's, something. It's like, it's a woman. It's a wo- yeah. <laughs> And then you have the other people who are like, I want the predator to fight a samurai next, or I want the predator to fight like a lady pirate. And you're, but I don't want that. Like, I wouldn't care if they never make another predator movie. Like, yeah. I want Dan Trachtenberg to make another movie. Yeah. I want to see Amber Midthunder in another movie. I don't need to see the same Predator story get played out just in different eras and different cultures. Like, that's yeah. uninteresting. I want, like, how about we have an action movie that takes place among Native Americans? How about that? And it doesn't need, you know, a franchise attached to it. It's just a really well-told story. Because I think the best parts of the movie, for me, weren't necessarily her fighting the Predator. It was the world building and the character development. Yeah. That's what hooked me because if you had taken all of that out it would have been another mindless just like yeah just like oh we could see the predator kill a bunch yeah, of people there's <laughs> certain things that feel very much um this director's point of view about the slowing down the watching them fail the watching them have to struggle like that makes you feel hooked into it versus to 
when you have Predator just on cable TV and it just feels like all you're seeing is guns blazing, blood, and I'd say the first Predator movie is a decent movie. Um, the what I've heard about the the more recent Predator movies is not great, and I have seen Aliens versus Predator, and that's a horrendous movie, which did have a female a protagonist. It just was Paul W. S. Anderson who does the Resident Evil movies. Yeah, because he's so good. Yeah, and so I, yeah, I think the uh, I'd rather see P. T. Anderson direct a Predator movie, but um, oh. but I think it's it's Dan Trachtenberg and it's um, Amber Mid Thunder are the reasons why the movie works. Yeah. Uh, and it's and it's a good story. Yeah, and it's yeah, it's Trachtenberg. I think helped develop the story. I don't think he wrote the script. Uh, but yeah, it's if you like Predator movies, even if you just like action movies, but you don't want something that's just as bloated as a lot of the popular sort of Marvel and adjacent kind of movies have become. Uh, I think this is a really good pick to yeah. watch. It, you're you, going to be entertained. I mean, it yeah. kept my interest in a lot of And if of you movies. love dogs, you yeah. love this film. Oh, yeah. And the dog was very good. It was a, the, the dog was so good. It it's was like, a, it's, a rescue, I think, who wasn't formally trained until he got on set. And they were like, he just took to it. Like, he knew exactly. He knew how to hit his marks. He knew how to react. And so it's just like one of those dogs and, that was like born to be a star. And apparently, of like that, you were saying that like the director, like they're like, okay, we're gonna add him in more scenes because he's yeah, so good. Yeah. So they expanded <laughs> the dog's role, which is not something you hear very often. But yeah, that was uh, Prey, and I would say if it sounds like the kind of movie that you would enjoy, certainly check it out. Don't wait. Maybe it'll get like a short theatrical run. That would be kind of fun. Yeah, but if not, go watch it. That's yep. great. Well, that was the Pop Cult Podcast for this week. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Make sure to check out our show notes for any relevant links to reviews on our blog. And that blog is popcult.blog. Make sure to check that out. There are new reviews popping up on the blog every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and extra stuff on the weekends, including this podcast. Uh, Make sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so that you'll be notified when new episodes pop up. If you visit popcult.blog, right now we just kicked off a television-to-big-screen series where I'm looking at uh, properties that started as uh, shows on American television and were adapted into films. And so we just did the 1987 adaptation of Dragnet. We're going to be doing The Addams Family, uh, the A-Team movie, uh, even movies for shows I'm not very familiar with, like My Favorite Martian, which was a 90s Disney movie. Uh, Coming up in September, we'll be doing a series on the films of Alexander Payne from Citizen Ruth to Nebraska. And additionally, we're going to kind of continue the Coppola series. We started earlier this year with the 70s, and we're going to be watching Coppola's movies from the 1980s, uh, a period that's a very interesting development for him. If you like what we do here on the podcast and over on the blog, we really would love you to consider supporting us on Patreon. Link there in the show notes as well. We've got lots of rewards and goals uh, that you can take a look at. And I want to thank our current patrons, Becca and Matt, for their uh, monthly donations. They're both at the $10 writer's room level. And if you're at that level or higher, you get to pick a movie every month for me to watch and review. And if you want to include your own thoughts, you're open to do that, and I'll attach them to the review. Lots of interesting things to check out there on Patreon. We'd really like to see it grow even bigger this year. So, that being said... Thank you for listening, and until next time, keep watching.